0: Hello there. My name is Richard Bolus, and welcome to the Dad Mindset Show, where we explore different aspects of fatherhood in order to become less bad at being a dad. This episode, I chat with Stacey Cuccio. Stacy is one of the hardest working people I know. She's a naturopath, a nutritionist, as well as a supermom. Whilst I mainly wanted to pick Stacy's brains about how she treats health issues in an integrated manner, there were some other real nuggets of gold that I took away from our chat from really valuing food culture.
1: Food culture was around way before food science and and I think that that brings you know the fun and the balance um, to, to food as well.
0: To how many cups of coffee I should be sticking to each day. I certainly enjoyed this conversation with Stacey and I hope you do too. Stacey Cuccio, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: It's great to finally have this chat with you. I've been looking forward to interviewing you for some time now. Before we dive into your work in nutrition and naturopathy, can you give us a bit of background on yourself, Stacey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we were, I was born in in Darwin, and really, like, it was it was a I, I don't remember it. You know, as an adult, I'm sure I'd go back and sort of. Um, it would feel very different I'd probably feel incredibly hot but at the time you know everyone had pools and um, mum was a swimming teacher um for a little while While dad was mum and dad was starting a business so we sort of learnt to swim before we could walk um and yeah we lived on a couple of acres and my dad sort of traveled quite a bit um even when we were little in, in the territory so we were there until I was about so I'm the youngest um until I was about six or seven, and then we moved to uh, Yapoon in central Queensland just near Rockhampton, and that was really nice because we moved from, um, you know, that bit of acreage and we moved to um, a beach, you know, and a beach town, and we had this beach right opposite our house and we could ride our bikes on there every day. and uh, So that was really great, and mum and dad basically kicked off their business in the house, so they had the bottom um, – the bottom of the house was that was the business and we lived on the top of the house. So we always had access to mum and dad um, but they, they could then sort of, yeah, create a flexible business around um, our needs as well as kids.
0: Yeah. And what was the business that they started?
1: So they uh, started a business called RCS, called Resource Consulting Services, and it's going on its 30th year now um, and it's basically um, a – uh, it's it's hard to explain really easily but it's basically um educating you know uh individuals and um families and government groups and people working in agriculture on many levels and working with them and empowering them to um grow produce and and protein particularly beef um in profitable businesses but, but doing so in a way that's holistic and um, gentle on the land and supportive of biodiversity and really um, regenerative, you know, um, practices. So it's it's regenerative agriculture is, is sort of a buzzword now but, um, you know, mum and dad have been pioneers really in this industry for, well, yeah, 30 years now. So, so that's their business and they're still doing that and now my sister works in the business, which is great because that was never sort of in the in the plan but she's now doing what mum used to do when we were kids and doing that very well and um, and my husband has sort of fallen into the role of general manager for the business now as well. So it's very much a family business.
0: <laughs> Great. And uh, yeah. still close to the family as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you guys,
0: and yeah, you live just up the road, don't you?
1: We do. We're only about 25 minutes away um, which is really nice and, you know, My sisters and I never really intended to live here, but um, back in Yipoon, we we kind of went travelling a bit and worked in other places um, around Australia and and even overseas. But we've ended up back here and it does feel like home and it is a really nice place to, you know, to raise kids. And we've got such a wonderful family network here and that is just so um, great for us but also for them, you know, so it's it's a really nice situation.
0: Yeah. We're lucky, yeah. What were some of the important moments in your childhood that your parents gave you?
1: Uh, I think they did get us, you know, involved in the business. Um, So we we would often have to, you know, answer phones for them or – you know we'd be folding letters and doing mail outs and we'd be getting something like two dollars an hour to do so but you know that was huge money 25 30 years ago um, and so you know we were we were involved in the business in 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 um, some capacity but at the same time mum and dad gave us an enormous amount of freedom just to be kids and we sort of we we had boundaries um, like clear boundaries but we also had a lot of freedom and time to you know play and explore and um take up any opportunity that sort of presented itself um and i think we're very lucky you know that that we mum and dad were able to to do that for us
0: yeah gotcha and uh, i mean your dad in particular he's quite a character uh, and a lot of people look up to him but how did you actually see him as a father
1: he's uh, amazing like you know he's a he's a great dad he's got a really um you know gentle and yet commanding sort of um energy about him but he's you know he's very he's very calm He very rarely um raised his voice and you know he's always encouraged not just us but everyone really to sort of speak out and stand up for what they believe in and to take on risks and to write our goals down uh I remember once when I was in high school he got us to, you know, we had a goal writing session and, you know, I was something like 14 or 15 and I remember thinking, oh, you know, rolling my eyes, like, oh, my God, Dad's right, <laughs> getting us to write down our goals and visions and, you know, and so I just wrote something that I genuinely thought would never, ever happen um, just almost to say, look, Dad, goals don't really happen just because you write them down, you know. So I wrote down I want to be selected in the um, – uh, Queensland State Youth Wind Ensemble to be um, going to Singapore, you know, in a couple of months. And I just genuinely believe that would never, never happen. And it did happen. And I went to Singapore and, you know, it was this amazing opportunity and he still sort of laughs about that and says, well, you wrote it down. And of course it was going to happen. <laughs> um, but at the same time as uh, as actually encouraging us to think big and um and write stuff down, there was very much – um this ethos of you've got to work for it too, you know, like you've got to, you've got to put in the yards, um, you've got to practice, and I think that's what music taught me uh, when I was a kid that you've got to do the scales, you know you've as boring as it is and as um, annoying as it is sometimes you've you've got to do that work um, to to achieve what you want to achieve, you know so so they taught us hard work as well because um yeah, I think anyone who owns their own business, understands that it's, you know, it's complex and, um, yeah, a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Um, Now, following on from what your parents did, like working in regenerative agriculture, do you think that inspired you uh, to become a nutritionist originally?
1: Yeah, not at the time though. So um, I remember when I first enrolled in uh, naturopathy and – I knew that I had an interest in nutrition because um, I was reading books like on omega-3 fatty acids and stuff when I was in grade 12 and that was a bit bizarre because I didn't have to be reading those books but I found them interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was probably a bit of a clue but then I just thought, you know what, I want to travel. I I knew I wanted to be in health um, in some capacity uh, but I still didn't connect the dots with mum and dad's business and my career Um, and then – even when I was sitting, I, you know, I'd I'd been traveling and I knew I didn't want to work in hospitals because I did a little stint in hospitals and it just wasn't, it didn't feel right. Um, and so I thought, well, nutrition sort of resonates. So I enrolled in a um naturopathic nutrition course and that was a a bachelor of nutritional medicine, but it was at a naturopathic um college because I liked the philosophy behind natural medicine. And I remember sitting there. And even then when I went on to um, transition into naturopathy, which was later that year, because I thought, well, I'd love to have no herbal medicine and a bit of lifestyle medicine, so I've got more tools in the toolkit essentially. Um, But even when I transitioned, you know, I had never once in my life been to see a naturopath. So I really didn't know what they did. Um, And I, you know, growing up, you know, if we had a headache um, or a fever you know, we'd get a cuddle and um, you know, maybe a a cup of Milo and maybe some panadol or something. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't get fresh herbs from the garden grounded down into a tincture or a poultice or, you know, we wouldn't get that. Um, which was fine and, and that's just how we raised. So I didn't necessarily feel and, and the other reason um that it felt a bit odd being enrolled in a naturopathy course as well is because I um I wasn't there because I had found naturopathy or natural medicine through my own illness, So, which a lot of my colleagues were um, and other students were. You know, They were there because they, they got sick and they weren't able to get better through the more conventional methods and so therefore they, they sort of quote-unquote found natural medicine, they got better and that inspired them to study it and that just was not the case for me at all. So I sort of felt like a bit of a um, fish out of the out of pond and out of the water and so I... Just went on though because I felt that this is just right and it's interesting and this is where I want to be. And then it wasn't till closer to graduation. I'm a really slow learner, but closer to graduation <laughs> that I realised that actually the um, the underlying principles of regenerative agriculture and my parents' business they're exactly the same principles as um, natural medicine. Um, and sort of ecological-based medicine or complementary medicine, you know. So it's things like complexity and biodiversity and working with natural patterns and cycles and um, treating the cause, not the symptoms, and, um, you know, participation in the ecosystem and minimal inputs, um, regenerating the soil, which is a bit like regenerating our gut and our gut microbiota. Um, boosting immunity and you know there's just there's so many similarities between the two in terms of the approach Uh, and so that's really why I got into it and that's why I still really love what I do because fundamentally the the overall approach just resonates with me it just makes sense to me and that's because that's probably the imprint the stamp from from my, my parents yeah
0: yeah and what would you say is the general approach
1: with naturopathy yeah or, or the general approach to health
0: um well i was thinking with naturopathy because i mean i guess there's also it comes under fire a lot as well um certainly mm. in, in other countries you see sort of articles about people selling snake oil and and that sort of stuff and, and having 100 percent certainty that something will work i mean what's your sort of stance on that stacy
1: Um, I think that, you know, especially in the world of nutrition and and, um, natural medicine, you know, although there's a lot of traditional um, evidence there that I don't think we can discount, it's such an evolving arena. And so what we thought we knew about, um, for example, the womb being a sterile, super sterile environment and there's no bacteria in there, and now we know that the placenta is awash with bacteria and microbes and the baby is exposed to microbes before they come out, um, into the big wide world. And so, you know, that's just one tiny example of how rapidly things are changing. And so then I think to say, well, that's it now, you know, that's, this is the line in the sand of our knowledge. And, um, that's the only approach and not open yourself up to actually that changing again is, um, a bit crazy because, (laughs) you know, it's, it, it's, it, of course, is going to change and it's going to evolve, and that's the beauty of it, I think. Um, and so it's really important to not be too dogma- dogmatic about anything, I think, because um, our, our you know, understanding is constantly evolving and therefore our approach has to. But I also try not to get too caught up in the negative talk on natural medicines because I do think that sort of every form um, and every approach to health or healing or illness, it, they all have something unique to offer. And so I think it's really the diversity of all of those things together and the collaboration between different modalities that gives the best outcomes for, for the patient because it becomes about the patient then and not about the actual modality, if that makes sense. And that's, um, you know, what what we call the integrative or integrated model of care. And I think that's, you know, really, really powerful. And there's pros and cons to different types of evidence. There's pros and cons to that, you know, traditional um evidence and anecdotal evidence, and then there's pros and cons to current, you know, randomised placebo-controlled trials as well because, you know, they don't necessarily factor in in, factor in things like individuality, and that's a fundamental um, issue. So, you know, and in, and in the world of nutrition, oh, my gosh, like, the, you know, it's such a um, – there's so much controversy and um, uh, confliction around – and confusion you know because one week eggs are good the next week they're not so good and then yeah. coffee's good and then it's not good actually coffee's good again I oh, actually know it's not good again what? and so this just <laughs> which
0: one is it tell you me
1: know.
0: <laughs> it's, it's really important
1: um, I think, <laughs> I, think co- I think coffee is fine for most people but no more than three a day
0: <laughs> gotcha okay
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and that's not to I mean say that you you know you you, you've I mean obviously you don't take a hard line with with one sort of modality being better than the other but you you talk about almost like a a cyclical approach don't you with your patients
1: Mm. yeah so uh, I think that when you do work in collaboration with other professionals who are experts in their own field whether that be um, physiotherapy or Um, you know, or more esoteric or alternative things like acupuncture or specialists like um, gastroenterologists. I think we've all got something different to contribute and um, that's really powerful and something that, you know, I found when I started practising that was really wonderful was someone would present to the clinic where I was working and they might have, um, you know, I I remember specifically uh, one lady and she had really significant Um, gastrointestinal problems so she had a lot of pain and a lot of sort of bowel problems and she hadn't been to see a um you know a specialist or a doctor about it and that just didn't I just didn't feel that that was um the best care for her so whilst I was sort of digging around trying to think what might be happening and what might we do um you know also I said look how about you go to the doctor get a referral to a gastroenterologist and um you know, and and make sure that there's nothing structural going on here because I don't have x-ray vision. I can't see down and I need to make sure that everything's sort of okay before we go much further um, from that end. And so she did and she was great. And about six weeks later she came back to my office with my business card and said, oh, the gastroenterologist said that there's nothing functionally, um, sorry, structurally going on. My bow looks okay as far as he's concerned, but he gave me your card and sent me back to you. And, <laughs> and so this is sort of the full circle. And she was happy with that, and I was happy with that. The gastroenterologist was happy with that, and we could go forward. Um, and it was life changing for her. You know, she she was able to, yeah, she was able to do a lot that she didn't ever think she would be able to do, given the severity of her symptoms. And so she she got her life back and she's still now three years later still travelling around Australia in a caravan which she would never have been able to do, um, you know if we hadn't have sort of got to the bottom of her problems. But but we needed to feel, be confident, as I said, that um, you know that that she'd spoken to a few different people about what was going on. And so for me, you know that's that's collaboration, that's patient centred care, that's integrative health, um, you know, and that's what's best for the patient. So that's 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 what I, where I think it's really powerful. Um, that diversity of paradigms and experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I caught up with uh, Adam and yourself, it was really good to sort of talk through that as well because I think um, I'd stood on the sidelines somewhat and, and sort of dipped into a few elements like uh, you know acupuncture over in Japan and, and even things like moxibustion, like desperately trying to fix things. Um, but it always seemed so, I guess, siloed. Whereas it sounds like your approach is very much, okay, let's hold the patient by the hand and lead them through a bunch of processes to actually figure out what's going on for them personally, not just almost treating the the symptoms separately from the the, the person. Is that kind of what it's like?
1: It is. And so that's why often um, when you see a naturopath, you know, it takes a bit of time because they they probably will want to know a timeline. What was thing What was thing You know, how was how was this particular issue when you were a kid? What about when you were a teenager? And then when did it start to morph into that? And at that time, what was happening with your work? And then you know, and so there's so many different things from environmental um, in influences to um, you know the, the timeline to that personal history to what was going on perhaps psychologically or in their mindset um to you know to, to right now there's so many things Yeah, you know for, for for a person that might be contributing to their health you know today um in regards to what they're eating their stress and their what sleep they had last night and so it's there's so many things to talk about and i think that's why um our naturopaths are a really eclectic bunch and that's <laughs> that's quite a powerful thing but it can also be confusing because we do practice really differently and unfortunately you know, our industry isn't immune to, um, to cowboys, you know, and it's not immune to people who don't have, um, in my view, that the adequate training to be recommending perhaps supplements or particular diets, um, you know, and so I think we as an industry sort of need to be a bit better and a bit more um, uh, uniform in our approach to um, and united, you know, in how we're going to deal with that. But we are, we, we're getting better and, and you know, naturopathy training in Australia for those that are qualified is is excellent. You know, it's really it's it's very much actually quite evidence based and it's um you know, it's it's very much about um integration and things. So yeah, yeah I think there's a there's a lot of um, cowboys, but there's also a lot of really, really great practitioners out there.
0: Yeah, what would be your advice for how to actually identify the difference between the two or at least find someone that suits you?
1: I think um, word of mouth is probably the most important because you can ask people what their experience was, what sort of questions the person asked you, um, you know, how did they how did they feel when they left there, what sort of tools did they got to go forward with, because um, ultimately, you know, you want to in- give them enough tools and information and empowerment that they don't really need to be seeing people like me all the time, um, you know. Yeah, so I think it's about um, word of mouth and asking around and also, you know, doing some homework on, on, the, on the person, whether that be on social media or on their website and getting an idea about where they studied and what their interests are. Do they specialise in anything, um, you know, and what their, what their philosophy is? And most websites and social media platforms will have that information about someone now. Well, many do. So I think that that's the second way. Um, And also, you know, just talking to them. So when you get there or before you're you're going to book an appointment, actually asking those questions, you know, um, what is your approach? Um, Where did you study? Um, You know, how do you do you do you you treat or talk to or deal with um, this type of condition or this type of area? Um, so for example, if people, you know, want a specific IVF support, I'll generally refer them to somebody else because that's not my area of expertise. So, you know, it's good to sort of, um, yeah, to, to ask those questions on different mediums to different people. Yeah. yeah. Before you, before you go forward.
0: And you work very closely with, um, general practices, uh, pra- practitioners, uh, GPs <laughs> as well, don't you? As, and so do you think it's also worth asking your GP if, they can recommend someone as well.
1: Yeah, d- depending on the GP. I mean, I think there's still um, there's still a lot of um, eye rolling when somebody says to their uh, – like when it, when a patient will say to the um, to doctor, "I'm seeing a naturopath as well." Often, you don't often get a great response. But more and more, I'm finding that um, if that if that GP knows you as a practitioner. Um, then, yeah, they'll say, oh, great, okay, you're working with Stacey, I know why you want to get your zinc tested now because I like to know what's happening with zinc or um, I'll write a letter for that person to take, you know, to the GP. So it takes time to build up those relationships um, but I think it's really important for the patient to be honest about who they're seeing and why they're seeing that person and, you know, for them to not feel like they're you know, they going to get in trouble for that um, or yeah, it's the same with us. If, if someone comes to see me, I want them to be really open about what medications they might be taking, who else they might be talking to, because there's no judgment. It's just important to know so that we can factor that in.
0: Yeah, got it. I mean, because yeah. I think a lot of the time you actually unsubscribe a lot of uh, – uh, not subscribe? Uh, unprescribe a lot of uh, supplements and stuff as well, don't you?
1: Well, I, I'm more and more I'm finding that I, I am. I'm sort of deprescribing prescribing um, you know when someone will come and they might um, have literally a green bag full of of pills and they're all alternative um, you know and I can see why someone might get caught up in taking this or that or this or that, but you know often um, I just think that there needs to be a very good reason for someone taking anything, whether that's a conventional medication or an alternative medication. Um, and so, you know, you want to make sure it's the right dose, it's the right form, it's it's the right it's right for you. So often when I go through those things, I'll say, well, when was this prescribed? I'm like, oh, that was three years ago. Okay, well, that was before we knew this, and so now you're taking that as well. So you don't need to take that. So let's get rid of that. You know. So it's a matter of um really, I guess, just going through and making sure that they're not overdoing it uh, in that department. <laughs> a bit over keen. <laughs> um, yeah, a bit over keen. Absolutely, but also then having that conversation about you know um some of these may be necessary long term definitely but but how else can we how else can we support you in a way that doesn't require um long-term pills and potions you know yeah and i I must it?
0: yeah when you look at the marketing it's all about oh take this supplement and it'll do everything or it'll do this but if people listen to you know uh, even a tenth of the marketing they'd be taking so many different supplements anyway and they'd all probably be you know, counter affecting each other um, so I think it's great to actually be able to sit down with someone like yourself and and really take a, a 360 view of your own situation before actually making a decision on anything and I know because uh, yeah. well um, I, re- I remember when I was a kid actually having a bit of eczema flare up at one stage and I went to see the doctor and and he he was a really nice doctor, but he he prescribed me some kind of steroid cream. I said, "Oh, there you go. That'll that'll fix it." And it it popped up a couple of times. I think it was actually during exams. Um, and he didn't really want to explore any other options. I asked him like, "Could this be something I'm I'm eating? Could a, you know uh, anything that could be going on here?" And I, I was a bit disappointed that it was no no. Just treat the symptoms with this cream, and it'll go away. It might come back, but you just treat it with the cream again. And I think that's what's exciting about your approach, Stacey.
1: Yeah, it's, that's sort of what um, one of the reasons that I enjoy what I do is because of the challenge of actually we're well, putting those other dots together. Whilst you're getting the, tri- the symptoms treated, well, how do we figure out what triggered this and what the causes were? And, um, you know, it's unlikely that it was one thing. It was probably a combination of a few things. So let's put that together, whether it be environment, sleep, diet, you know, whatever, genetics... Um, and, yeah, it, it's it's good to have that conversation and um, come up with that solution with the patient as well because then they can start to join the dots as well and go, uh-huh, okay, well, it's when, when I do this or that that it seems to flare up. Um, and so, you know, often they're the ones joining the dots and I'm just sort of there facilitating that conversation, you know. <laughs> um, they've got the answers really. It's just having the time and space to put all those dots together. But it is important because it's um you know it's we need to sort of sometimes stop and think about what the underlying cause is rather than just continuing to suppress symptoms and just getting on with it, because you know there's only so much of that you can do before you feel that you know you're you're plugging up holes left, right, and center um, like sometimes it, it's a simple it's simple and that's great, but but sometimes it can get really complex and um and so that's where you know that that ground up approach can be helpful,
0: yeah. Got it, and and you did touch on when we were chat and chatting on the phone that like the the three pillars of health, the, the the way you look at things. Can you take us through that?
1: Yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, um, sleep number one, and then movement and diet, uh, you know, or nutrition are uh, for me the three pillars. And somebody can have, you know, the the best, beautiful, whole food, seasonal, um, organic nutrient-dense diet in the world. But if they're not getting enough sleep or quality sleep or sufficient sleep, then they're not going to be well, um, you know. And so all of those and, – and it might be the same when, you know, if somebody's sleeping really well and they're moving their body really well, but they're not actually feeling themselves very well. And so therefore that, that chair's not going to sit very, very stably and, you know, their, their resilience is going to go down. So it's really about, I think for me, they're the three big things. And then outside of that – you know, there's so many things there's mindset and um, the quality of relationships and you know environment in regards to you know water and air and exposure to um, you know pollutants or or chemicals. Um, you know, yeah, rest, community, yeah, the sunlight. It goes on and on. There's all these other things to factor in. But yeah, the, the the sleep and exercise and diet are um are three very big ones. And I think sleep sometimes gets overlooked.
0: Yeah. And what what do you reckon is uh, a good level of sleep? Uh, How do you actually gauge that, do you reckon?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's more about quality than quantity. So, um, you know, someone can be sleeping, for example, you know, eight to ten hours a night, but if it's poor quality and they're waking through the night, then, um, you know, they're better off getting four to six hours of good quality sleep. So I think that's the first thing, you know, to, to, to tease out. Uh, But if someone is getting that quality sleep, then between, you know, seven and nine hours for for most adults is what they should be getting and as close to the sun going down and the sun coming up as possible because our circadian rhythm, so our body clock responds much better to, you know, going to bed at um, eight or nine and waking up at, you know, five or six and actually getting the same amount of sleep but going to bed at one in the morning and waking up at 10 the next day. So or nine the next day or whatever it is. So we're gonna feel more groggy for that. So the sort of the earlier we can go to bed the better. And I heard that um, I heard at a sleep conference one, someone once, one of the experts said that every hour before one AM is physiologically equivalent to two hours after one A. M. And that's kind of stuck with me. Um, And so if you can catch an earlier night here or there, you really do feel better for it, you know, the next morning.
0: Yeah, I I read Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, recently, and that was fascinating. And he actually talks about how um, it definitely is like that. But then teenagers' circadian rhythms actually change. So if you've got teenage kids… They'll actually get to a stage where they they physiologically want to stay up later. Their bodies just don't go to sleep as early as normal. But then they'll wake up much later, and so going to school early is actually really tough. It's like it's like you or I getting up at three a.m. to to try and uh, learn a new subject, and yeah. and and our sort of school system sort of forces them into that. I mean, certainly places like the states, it's even earlier where they go to school at that age, and yeah. and that was a real shock for for me.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating, and you know similarly to our our um our body clock responds a lot to um food and so how we sort of respond so so the so sunlight is only one one impact on our body clocks and but it, we've got all these peripheral body clocks all around the body and and that doesn't necessarily respond to to light and day or dark and light it responds more so to um environmental cues like when we eat and so you know, this is if someone's waking up or doing doing shift work or, um, you know, waking up when their circadian biology, like, for example, a teenager, you know, says they should still be in bed, they're waking up and having an up and go or a um, Vegemite on toast or something like that, then that's also compounding that body clock issue because they're not metabolically primed necessarily, if that makes sense, to be eating um, at that time. Yeah. So.
0: It, it's I mean, really interesting. Yeah, because I, I mean, I still, I, I still get super snackish really late at night, especially if I've tried to do a bit of work a bit later. Now, do you have any sort of rules of thumbs for, for us parents to, to sort of navigate that sort of later in the evening eating space?
1: Yeah, I think. You know, it's a like ideally um, you would. It's good. It's a good idea to leave a bit of a window at night and not eat at all. But if you do get hungry, and I know I'm I'm still breastfeeding at night, so I get hungry <laughs> at night time. Um, but I think that's where you would sort of just have something that's you know rel- like a, a, a little protein rich um, snack. So it might be a handful of nuts, or it could be like a little homemade bliss ball or something. It could be some yogurt if you can you know, tolerate dairy. Um, it's something small and something that is actually satiating, um, like protein is. So that's probably a tip, but, but that could then disrupt your sleep. So it is better to actually bring the whole eating window closer, you know, to, to when the sun goes down, basically.
0: Gotcha. If you can. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. And like, would you... Yeah, okay. So sun goes down, basically you should have have or be already eating dinner by then basically and get to bed as early as you can after the sun goes down.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's how sort of how our bodies are uh, are primed. And so um that's really hard and and you know, <laughs> You're <telling struggles> me. <laughs> that. we even yeah, we even struggle with that. But I think it's more of a matter of of knowing um when like knowing the information and then when you can, you do catch an earlier night. When you can you know, you, you you don't snack late at night because um, there's going to be times when you can implement that and it might not be all the time, but, you know, you just do what you can when you can basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I find as well if I've been tired during the day because of like a late night, the night before or something, I'm more prone to snacking the next night. So it's almost like I probably need a, a 10, 15 minute nap during that day just to mm. sort of make sure I don't get on that snacking bandwagon later. Yeah, yeah can't yeah. always fit it in though.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In a perfect world. <laughs> yeah, exactly, in a perfect world. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so for um for your children, I mean, obviously you you're a mum of two. Can can you give us a bit of background on on the kids?
1: Yeah, so we've got um Matilda and she's almost 4. So she'll be 4 in September and then we've got okay. little Alfie and he's uh 14 months old. So yeah, girl and a boy and um yeah, they keep us keep us on our toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine.
0: <laughs> and um, so there, I mean, w- let's just sort of close off on what we're talking about there with nutrition stuff. What, what sort of like approach do you have to their sort of eating?
1: Well, it's interesting because we don't, I don't actually make um, nutrition a focus. And that sounds really weird because of what I do, but I think at this age, so this is going to change depending it's whatever
0: on the, they'll eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: a little bit like that, um, but also this age is a, they're really, really important in regards to um, basically um, their relationship with food throughout their whole life. So for us, it's there's a few things that are really important. Firstly, it's really important that um, we're set, we're setting a solid example for them and so we don't ask them to do anything that we won't do and it's really funny because I will often say because one of one of I've found one of the biggest challenges with um the kids especially Tilly is that she'll often get up and you know before she's finished eating and she'll go and do something and then she'll come sit down again and then she'll get up and then she'll you know she just can't (laughs) stay still and so I have found myself um saying to her a lot um yeah I found myself saying to her things like you know, Matilda, as we sit down and we eat as a family, um, you know, so, so you don't get up until the table until you finish eating. And the other day I got up from the table before I'd finished eating because someone needed water or, you know, we just spilt water or something happened. And she told me off and she said, Mom, um, please sit down because we, we, we eat as a family and you don't get up until everyone's finished. And so this is, you know, a three-year-old telling me off.
0: Yeah, I love I needed it. Needed to hear
1: it. Yeah, because you know, I was, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Yeah, um, and, and so set. Yeah.
0: If anything, I think kids—they don't necessarily do what we tell them; they do what they see us do.
1: <laughs> yes, definitely. And so, um, so, so, you know, setting good example and practicing what we preach, I think, is is um, important. Um, secondly, the, one of the big things for us with with kids at again at this age is keeping things relaxed. And um, light, and minimizing any sort of food-related stress or anxiety. Um, and this, to me, is really, really important because if they start to develop fear or anxiety or labels around, um, you know, things being good or bad, I think that can be that can be a little bit damaging to them later on, a little bit or a lot damaging to them later on in life. And the most important thing at this age is to understand that meal times um are a place of connection and um conversation and you know we don't we never tell them off for not eating a particular food but we want them to to try so you know I'll often say to them yeah I've put um I put some broccoli on your plate I know you don't really like it but can you try I've done something different tonight can you try it if you don't like it that's fine but I'm going to leave it there okay so I don't want you to take it off the plate so I'm sort of um it's just sort of exposure without pressure, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, But but definitely keeping it light and keeping it fun. And I won't sit there and say, you know, broccoli is really good for for your liver and broccoli is really good for this. Occasionally I fall into that trap but I try not to. And instead I'll say things like, how green is this broccoli or how much does this broccoli look like our big tree outside except the big tree outside has got this and that and this broccoli has got that. So I'm, we're, we're just making it, um, you know, fun and – and I think you know, there's they've still got to you know eat, um, but but we do try to keep it as light as we can, which is sometimes hard, but that's a bit of a goal for us. Got it. Um, and and also in that same kind of vein, um, getting them to cherish food culture and food traditions, like sitting down at the table together, like that's that's important to us to have family family dinners together, or um, you know, Adam home makes pasta with Matilda on Sundays, and. You know that's really important. That's important. That's an important family tradition. Um, and or whether it's making my nana's, you know, famous chocolate cake, those sorts of things are important to us too. Because food culture was around way before food science. And and I think that that brings you know the fun and the balance um, to to food as well. Uh, and the other thing too that we have found to be really awesome about growing um, growing some of our own foods. We've got a couple of acres and. Yeah, we grow at the moment probably 50% of, um, of the veggies that we eat are coming from um, and fruit are, is coming from our, our patch and it changes sometimes it drops when we're really busy and sometimes it goes right up to sort of 80 or 90 percent if we're doing really well. but it's interesting because it's, it's, it's great because it teaches them it teaches the kids obviously where the food comes from and the carrots you know grow in the ground and so the beetroots and they don't necessarily just come in a can and that kind of stuff. And it's fun to get them involved. Yeah. But it teaches them delayed gratification. It's really um, important skill, I think, for for kids. And so we planted a – well, Matilda chose a lychee tree and we planted a lychee tree uh, probably a year and a half ago now. And almost every day she will say to me, Mom, there's no fruit on the lychee tree yet. And then the next day she said, "Mom, there's no fruit on the lychee tree yet," and she is just hanging out for her first lychee from the lychee tree. And she knows, like it could be another two years off. You know, she could be five or six wow. before she gets a lychee, but that doesn't faze her because she's it's it's like watching it. And the other day she said to me, "Mom." there's flowers on the lychee tree and after flowers comes fruit and she was so excited that fruit might be on its way (laughs) um (laughs) yeah but it you know it it i think that's really powerful too is that you know growing your own food is it's obviously got so many benefits in terms of health benefits but it's beyond that you know it's um it's much more than that yeah
0: yeah (laughs) That's brilliant. It's much yeah. much much longer than the, what was it, 15-minute experiment with uh, marshmallows? The marshmallow, her. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. So <laughs> Which doing... we just recently did with her, actually. Oh, you did?
0: did, how, did she... how did that
1: yeah. go? Yeah, really good. She did all the classic things that she was um, – Can
0: you just like, explain was... how you carried it out? How did yeah, you...
1: yeah. So we actually used marshmallows and um, so we, we sat her down and, and I said to her, I gave her one marshmallow and I said – uh, if you don't eat this marshmallow within 15 minutes, I will come out and give you a second marshmallow. But you don't get the second one. You don't get. Um, yeah, you don't get the second one if you eat the first one. Okay. Are you clear? Yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> so we went inside, and she was just sitting outside with this one marshmallow. And she used all the yeah all the tricks. She was distracting herself, and she was swinging on her chair, and she was smelling it and putting it down, and then she pushed it away from her, and then she got on the table and looked at it sideways. And <laughs> I just, um, but she was really good. And
0: and she and didn't, she eat didn't it? come
1: inside. No, she didn't eat it. And so then ah, after fifteen minutes, yeah, I made her wait fifteen minutes on the dot And after I went out and said good job, gave the other one, and like you enjoy those. <laughs> she, That's awesome. Yeah, she scoffed them down in no time, but. <laughs> I thought, well, that's good. I didn't know how she'd go, but yeah, it's. But yeah, the light, the lighty tree is, you know, that times, yeah, times a billion, isn't it? It's um,
0: that's it's so it's good. really,
1: really, really cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> love it. I've got to get onto that myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, um, yeah, one of one I thought of when you were talking about this is what about portion control as well? Because obviously, kids go through growth growth spurts, like um. Like our eldest at the moment is just wolfing down food. Like she'll even be sort of eating off the other's plates, and you can tell Ooh. she's getting ready for that sort of next batter growth. I mean, yeah. what's your sort of take on that?
1: Well, I think if kids are if kids are, uh, are healthy and they're going through those um you know those periods of spurts, then they just self regulate, and there'll be times where they don't eat a lot either, and that can be sometimes concerning. But but I think in most cases you know they're just they're just intuitively eating um and they're they're born with that you know they're, they're born with that intuitive eating um ability and so i think you've just got to make sure that that the 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 foods that, that they have availability to are the ones that are really going to support that growth yeah. because that's the reason that they're eating it you not, know? Not, So they need to the be... fast,
0: not the fast foods and so on that sort yeah. of are yeah, just not addictive the
1: super ultra processed stuff yeah you want them to 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 be the foods that are actually going to support that growth. Otherwise, they're just still going to be hungry. You know, they're still going to be looking for that food. Um, and I think, too, you know, something um, interesting that, that is, comes from agriculture, actually, is when animals uh, aren't eating enough protein, they'll overconsume, especially carbohydrates, um, and they'll just keep eating carbs until they, in, you know, they, they get to that sort of protein, um, that cap that, that their body actually needs for that particular period of their, their life or growth. And humans are, are the same. And so sometimes with, with little ones, um, it's, it's a good thing just to, or, or kids generally, whatever age they are, because their protein needs are so high and, and protein is really a proxy um, nutrient for other nutrients like uh, iron and zinc, for example, that, you know, it's just good to make sure that, that you've got those sorts of foods that are really going to fill them up and actually support that growth so that they're not just you know um yeah keep on eating the stuff that's essentially a little bit hollow if that
0: makes sense. <laughs> yeah yeah it was a yeah. bit of a, a pasta extravaganza last night <laughs> so i think i yeah. was doing the wrong thing
1: oh <laughs> eggs for breakfast and it'll balance it all out it's oh cool okay i can totally <laughs> yeah. do that
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> now um what are what are some of your favorite activities you know apart from obviously growing food with the kids
1: um it's a good question. I think for me it's the it's the more um, not mundane but it's the everyday stuff that 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 I really enjoy. So it's the conversations that we have if we're, we're reading a book together or it's um, jumping on the tramp, you know, and just being silly together or it's um, playing trucks in the sand pit or, you know, or it's going for bushwalks and um, talking to them about, you know, what might be going on around them. And so for me like it's it's the it's the everyday stuff that i want that i'm grateful for and i want them to be grateful for and that's really where yeah we we tend to have the best experiences and recently um we went to Woodford, I think I was telling. I'm not sure if I was telling you. I think I was, but we went to Woodford Folk Festival, and we go there. We go there quite a lot, almost every year, but sometimes it's um, more like every second year since we've had the kids. <laughs> and and so it was a bit of a mission with the kids, you know, because it's about a, it's yeah, it's a, it's about a ten hour drive for us, and um, you know they were really little, and yeah, so it was it was a bit of a mish in the in the car. They were tired, um, but we we made the effort. We got there, and it was a really big day, really hot. And um we got back in the car, and we're driving home after this huge day, and it's like 10.30 at night. and I said to Matilda, "What was the highlight of your day?" You know, we'd been to the children's circus, and she'd done top line dancing and we'd watched bands, and she just there's just so many amazing things that um, that that she experienced. And she said, "Oh, being on the bus." And it was the <laughs> bus from from the um, the car park to the festival and the festival back to the car park. <laughs> And yeah. I sort of just looked at Adam and laughed, and we both laughed and just went, "That's great, Dallin," because she'd never been on a bus before. Um, and we thought, you know, they really don't, they really don't need or want much when they're little, um, or maybe when they're older too. We don't have much experience with older kids, but it was just a bit of a reality check that you know um, sometimes we, you know, we tr- try to give them perhaps more than what they really need or want. Um yeah. We yeah.
0: we definitely overthink it, I reckon.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. And there'll come a time where she's going to love Woodford, but maybe three um, wasn't quite,
0: <laughs> yeah. quite, the time. <laughs> it was a long shot. It was worth a try, but
1: <laughs> it was. Yeah, but we learned our lesson for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there'll, there'll be yeah. years to come.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> now, um, are, are there any um, sort of parenting hacks that you've you've tried that have worked?
1: Oh, not really. Um, I think, you know, for us it's – what actually one of the uh, things that I took away from one of your podcasts and I have gone blank on who it was with but it was asking the question, you know, when they run into a bit of strife, is it a small problem, a medium problem or a large uh, yeah. problem? yeah, Tim Hawkins. Oh, uh, and I just – yeah, Tim. And I just found that, you know, just so helpful. So I use that quite a lot. We use that quite a lot. Um, and also I've, I've read a book recently which – was a bit of a game changer, really, in how I approached, um, you know, meltdowns and oh, lo- lots of different situations, really. Um, but it's it was called the it's called the Whole Brain Child, and they talk about um, playful parenting, and they talk about things like connect and redirect, and um, so that's when you sort of connect with where they're at, and you don't try to talk to them about rational stuff until they're rational, <laughs> um, and. So connect with, you know, their emotions and then you redirect them to a calmer place and then you talk to them about um, what might have happened and how they might do it differently next time. Um, and so they're, in that book, they talk about little hacks, I guess, for, for parents and they say things like name it to tame it. So sort of talking about, how, well, how did that feel? Did it sting or does it itch or does it tingle or, you know, you've, you've got to be specific um, with them and that's really helpful to them. And, yeah, and so... That book um, was really good, and they've got you know, lots of those little hacks. And so, on our fridge, I've actually got a little, like a, just a little squiggly mind map of some of those key takeaways. That yeah. um, you know, when we're in moments of just um, yeah, full-on moments with them, it's easy to look at that and go, "Okay, <laughs> connect and redirect." <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> and great. <you're> right? <laughs> can you can you give me a um, can you give me a, an example then?
1: Yeah. So. An example might be um, when uh, oh, I'm just thinking in the last day or two when we've had an example. So an example is when um, you know Alfie, it, of course, the little brother came. We were playing a card game, and little brother came and mixed up all the cards. And um, <laughs> that old chestnut, <laughs> as, as he does, and, you know, half ate one and had a had a bit of a laugh about it too, mind you. But um, and so you know, Matilda got really upset, and so. You know, yeah. You know, I I get upset too when someone, you know, if I'm working really hard on something and you know, Phoebe comes along, which who's our dog? Phoebe comes along and steps all over it, or you know, that makes me upset too. But do you remember yesterday when she did that? And and that, and I was only upset for you know a minute or two, and then I felt okay. So it's like a cloud rolling past. You know, you might feel upset right now, but you know, this is easy to fix. And so that's when the question is: this a small problem, a medium problem, or a big yeah. problem? Um comes in oh it's a small problem great okay and then we just move on so that's like an example of what they would say in the book is um you know connect and redirect and name it to tame it so you're sort of you know on their level um and giving them examples of what's happened with you or what's happened in the past for them and how they've resolved that and how actually you know they can do that again and um and it's okay you know (laughs) yeah
0: yeah just helping them navigate it
1: yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yep, that's exactly right. And, you know, in the book they talk about um, just basically how the brain works and and another, and so that's been really helpful for me and, and it talks about how to integrate, you know, the left and right hemispheres and the upstairs and downstairs brains and, and, um, and that's been really, really helpful just to, what, for me to understand wait, what's more about. The,
0: what's the upstairs and downstairs brain? I've not heard that one.
1: Yeah, so the upstairs brain is um, so. That, for example, they talk about upstairs and downstairs tantrums. So upstairs tantrum would be when they've um, chosen to put on a tantrum because you know you might have said um, no to them at the supermarket because they wanted to buy you know the chocolate bar at the counter. Yeah, and they've intentionally so it's um, put on a tantrum. It's yeah, a so conscious a c- choice, system
0: but, two sort of approach.
1: It is, but also they're able to stop. They're able to regulate that, so you know that if you, you know, said to them, "Hey, look at this balloon," they'd stop immediately and go, "Oh, wow, okay, there's a balloon there." Whatever it might yeah. be, you know, you know that they stopped. But a downstairs tantrum is when they just have no control over their emotions, um, and so it can escalate to something that is just a all emotion, meltdown. no logic, absolutely a true <laughs> meltdown. And so they talk about um, how to deal with upstairs tantrums and how to deal with downstairs tantrums, and. Um, that you deal with them differently and yeah and so things like that and 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 over time you're teaching them how to use their logic um when they're feeling emotional you know yeah. so it's just and it's being their upstairs brain for them when they can't do that um because it's still developing you know so it's 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 um really centred around that. And similarly, another game changer for me as a parent was a um, – there's, there's a, an amazing guy in New Zealand called Nathan Wallace. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you've heard of him.
0: How to, um, how to dad? Is that him? No.
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, not sure, about, but he's a he, – he teaches neuroscience at, I think it's the University of Canterbury. Oh, definitely um, not. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's
0: equally got, epic, but <laughs> –
1: Um, he's got it and i think i know the guy you're talking about by the way he's great too um but but nathan wallace has an app and it's little videos on uh you know how to handle meltdowns and how the brain works and um you know he's got he talks about different stages of brain development for different ages so for example the one that um i found really helpful was the zero to 18 months and um but he's got you know those sorts of those sorts of techniques and tools and, and understanding on um, teenagers as well and tweens and, you know, different ages. And I, I just love his approach um, and I just think he's straight to the point and really practically helpful for parents. Yeah.
0: yeah. What, <laughs> um, what's the name of it's, the book?
1: Um, it's, well, it's not just, a book. Just it's look up a, Nathan Wallace. Yeah, the, the app. Um, and the app's just called Conscious Intelligence. And I think it's called, um, I've got it here, Parenting Baby's Brain. Gotcha. But okay. Nathan, Nathan Wallace is, yeah. But I find, um, you know, his stuff to be great. But it's similar to the Whole Brain t- Child in the sense that it just talks about our understanding of of little brains and what they need. Um, you know, what's helpful and what's not helpful. So. Yeah, that because yeah, I was so green coming into motherhood. I was absolutely, I had no idea I think what we I all was are. doing. Oh, my God. I always think I was greener than, oh, yeah, I just had no idea. So, I've had to learn a lot. <laughs>
0: it's been a steep learning curve.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is for all of us, though, isn't
0: it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems to get steeper. Yeah. I don't know yeah. <laughs> whether it's just me. Or I think maybe the more you think about it. <laughs> no, I
1: think it gets steeper. I think with age complexity, too, so... Um, talk to me in another 10 or 15 years and I think it'll be a totally different conversation.
0: We're <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have to do that, Stacey. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I am very conscious that I've uh, held you up for ages now. So uh, I know uh, Alfie's quite ill. So uh, probably good to call it a day there and let you get back to uh, being a mum. But uh, I do want Thank to say you. thanks ever so much for coming on the show Stacey. it's been lovely talking with you and um is there any particular way that someone can reach out to you if they want to get in touch?
1: Uh, probably my website would be the easiest that's just um www.cultivatingwellness.com.au yeah and from there it's got links to yeah email and um yeah, social networks and those sorts of things so that's probably best yeah But thank you so Absolutely. much for having me on
0: oh no no it's a pleasure thanks uh ever so much stacy and um yeah hopefully hopefully uh, alfie starts to feel a bit better in the next day
1: i'm sure he will he's got nana cuddles at the moment so they always help hey? they, they
0: always work <laughs> yeah. wonders
1: yeah I do yeah
0: <laughs> awesome all right well um, enjoy the rest of the day stacy and uh look forward to catching up with you and adam soon cheers rich well thanks ever so much for listening I hope you enjoyed hearing from Stacy. If you'd like to contact her, I'll put her web address details in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. Also, if you have any other topics you'd like to hear more about on the show or any feedback for me, please drop me a line. I did have an issue with my email, uh, which is rich at thedadmindset.com, not working for a while. So I apologize so much if I didn't respond to you. But it's back up and running now, so please feel free to reach out. I'd really love to hear from you. In the meantime, have a great week and enjoy your caffeinated beverage.